Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 685 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, March the 19th. I am your host, Sean Woodley from Raptors.com for the month of March. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you are checking out the Locked On Podcast Network where we have team-focused shows covering all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams as free agency ramps up. I recommend listening to Locked On Tampa Bay Bucks, for example, to hear about their new quarterback. Tom Brady, which is super weird, but either way, they have you covered down there. Uh, of course, we've got the NHL and MLB networks going strong, too. On the MLB side, we've got our season preview for the season that is not yet happening. It may not happen till like, July at the earliest, but either way... Paul Sullivan has you covered over on Locked on MLB with all the local hosts chipping in for five to six minutes, breaking down their teams. You've heard similar shows on the NBA network, probably, that I've been part of in the past. So go check out all those shows. Support the shows in the network. It's very much appreciated. Tough times for everybody, but hopefully the podcast network's giving you something to uh, help you kill your quarantine time. Uh, and that's what we're going to do today on today's show. I'm joined by our pal, James Herbert. James, what's up? Oh, nothing. Nothing weird happening whatsoever. No, very normal. You know, just watching the basketball every night uh taking in all the cool dunks and everything no this is uh <laughs> this is super yeah, weird raptor sixers it. last night was a blast totally. absolute banger marcus Gasol holding joel Embiid to zero points again can you believe it unbelievable on zero for 69 shooting as well freaking ridiculous um but that's not what we're here to talk about. We'll talk about the Raptors' domination of the Sixers a little bit later on in the, the month as we get into uh, the second round of the playoffs. And I'll do a dramatic reading at some point of those chapters from We the Champs. But for now, we're talking about another thing I wrote, which is my latest for Raptors.com. It is an extremely long, overlong, really, if we're being frank about it, bracket of the 32 best performances in a single game in Toronto Raptors history. And James is so kind to join me today as we try to pick our brackets and try to figure out who should win each round. Uh, I'm kind of stuck. This is why I wanted to use this podcast as an exercise in helping me make decisions on somewhere I'm not so sure. There's exactly one matchup that I'm like 100% sure of. And uh, of course, you could probably guess which one that is. We'll get to that at a later date. Uh, James, buddy, are you ready to uh, dive into this thing here? I am slightly terrified, but I'm ready. Just so you've been doing a lot of prep for this, uh, more prep than I frankly would have expected, or I, I just I, I didn't think roping you into this would lead to such uh, studious planning on your part. What was your uh, prepping process as you went through the bracket to get ready for today? I just needed to refresh my memory on some of this stuff. Like if you mm. look at the bracket, there's like a Vince Carter 47 point game against the Bucks and then a 48 point game against the Bucks. <laughs> so I needed to get some context here. Uh, mm. I needed to, I mean, like, frankly, I haven't thought about like Bargnani scoring 41 at MSG in a very long time. Uh, <laughs> there are certain games that even when I tried to do research for them, I could not find anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I could not find highlights uh, of some of these, for example. The Walt Williams selection was one of those. The Marcus Camby selection was one of those, which, like, that's personally sad to me because that was when, like, back in those days, I was going to every Raptors home game. Like, I was just a kid, but we had season tickets, and mm -hmm. uh, I was extremely into those times and those teams, those players. Uh, 
even though the Raptors were losing almost every game. So I, I was hoping that this would lead to some uh, some of that kind of nostalgia, and I got a little of that, but some of the stuff I just couldn't even find. So I did my best, and I've made some difficult decisions here. And uh, it was also fun to go back and, like, you know, watch how the hell Amir Johnson scored 32 points in that game on the day of the Rudy Gay trade. Like, it was, it was just kind of cool to go back and watch some of these games that, like, I watched at the time, but uh, either haven't thought about or just haven't gone back and actually watched the highlights in a long time. So that's basically what I did. Right on. Uh, so for people who aren't aware, uh, you can go to Raptors.com right now and make your, your, your picks for who should win the first round of the tournament. Uh, we're going to go uh, every couple days, basically like the actual tournament itself. So the Sweet 16 is going to go down on Saturday, so keep an eye out there. And then the next round, the Elite 8, will will drop next Thursday. And we'll go every couple days, Thursdays and Saturdays, until we have a winner. Um, and so... Basically, the the process behind it was I wanted to have a, a diverse bracket. So there's only three is the limit for an individual player to appear, uh, and, and it's it was definitely tough to like split the hairs and decide which games to put in. Basically, my first gauge of whether a game was good or not was basketball references game score it's not perfect by any means but it does sort of capture like an all-encompassing box score that you kind of like to see from games like this so a lot of these games the 32 that i included are among the best games by uh, game score in basketball references sort of backlog of raptors games Uh, but that's not all that's in there because that would not be super fun so i kind of went through and found some memorable performances as well from big games uh you mentioned amir johnson that was not one of those top games but it definitely stands out and I wanted to have as many different guys in the in the conversation as possible just to sort of th- throw back and again have nostalgia because nostalgia is good especially in these trying times um, and there's a couple ones in there that you know maybe got in over more deserving candidates like Doug Christie's near quadruple double where he had eight steals uh, and seven assists in a game against the Sixers but there were a couple games as we'll get to that I just felt like kind of needed to be in there even if they weren't necessarily overwhelming statistically so james let's get into it there's two regions we'll start with the you should probably note also that like the playoffs are not included here oh yeah there's no playoffs included it's just regular seasons yeah because it would have been way too easy to just say kyle lowry you win for game six of the finals and you you'd beat Kawhi leonard in game seven against the sixers and that's it so yeah um that's correct let's go on to uh the bracket then shall we (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there, it would have been hard to pick Kawhi games. Like, it wasn't just, like, right? Like, you have to go through the whole run. Like, yeah. you could have done a bracket of Kawhi games from last year's playoffs, probably. Probably, yeah, like, at least, like, a 16-er. Um, yeah, he, uh, like, game five against the Bucks was crazy. There's a couple of Magic games in there. Mm-hmm. Game four against the uh, Sixers, where he was the only offense they had uh, and hit the first of his amazing shots over Joel Embiid. Yeah, Save maybe the season we'll, then too. Yeah, yeah. Like, if this, there was uh, a lot. <laughs> if this quarantine goes until next March, that might be what we do, uh, <laughs> and it might do that. Anyway, I mean, let's. You're gonna not. speak it into existence, man. That's dangerous stuff. <laughs> uh, look, man, I'm thriving in the lack of uh, with the lack of basketball. People apparently like my inane bullshit, so I'm I'm okay right now. Uh, <laughs> let's get right. into the bracket. We got two regions. We got the Wayne Embry region and the John Saunders region. Let's start with the Wayne Embry region with the one sixteen matchup between DeMar DeRozan's 52-point game, the franchise high against the Milwaukee Bucks, January 1st, 2018, 
against the Ben Uzo triple-double, 12-11-12, in the <laughs> final game of the season against the tanking-ass New Jersey Nets. Ben Uzo uh, gets the triple-double in his last NBA game. Shows to Solomon Alabi, who had a, his only ever double-double in that game as well with 11-19. and um, That This game had a lot of sort of ripple effects in terms of lottery odds and where the Raptors went from Be there. So- they oh. ended up 8th after winning this game. They would have been 6th had they lost the game. And they uh, they saw Terrence Ross uh, fall to them at number 8 and did not get to take either Harrison Barnes or Damian Lillard at number 6, which obviously has a whole lot of uh, butterfly effecty things going on there too. Ben, or Ben, James, what is your pick here between DeMar DeRozan and Ben Uzo as the better game? I wanted to pick Ben Uzo. I could not bring myself to do that. I vividly remember the, the Ben Uzo night. I was there. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. weirdly asking Dwayne Casey some question about, like, does this feel like the last day of school or something? And, like, they they just weren't playing anybody and the nets <laughs> did the same thing and it was just completely ridiculous like it, it was not a real game uh it was sort of a shit show i, I think i have the final score down here like 98 67 like there's an argument though that like ben uzo wasn't even the best raptor in that game like ed davis was awesome that night uh and again the defense was non-existent so as legendary as the Ben Uzo game is to me, like I probably bring that up in like dumb conversations with <laughs> like Toronto based reporters, like way more often than I've ever like revisited the DeMar game. Like the DeMar game was incredible. Like mm-hmm. that is like peak DeMar. Like he's hitting threes. He's hitting long twos. The floaters are going, the turnarounds, the drives. Uh, he had like an and one that wasn't actually called an and one, but should have been where like he attacked Giannis in overtime and got a layup. He had like a sidestep jumper uh, near the end of the game that I think gave him 48. And uh, like that version of DeRozan, like even like he had he had some amazing games like this year mm-hmm. with the Spurs when when LaMarcus was spacing the floor and he actually had driving lanes and he was playing basically like a Westbrook is now with the small ball rockets or like Giannis does where it's just DeMar in space, but Mm. like he's, he's not shooting threes anymore. Like that version of DeMar when he was doing everything, including the threes, like that is like the best player he's ever been. And that's what I still want to see him become again. Uh, so to hit, to get to 52, uh, I believe it was a franchise record, right? And like, Mm -hmm. that's just crazy. Like that, this was, this was not a difficult one, even though in my heart, like when I saw Ben Uzo's name on the list, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do the like <laughs> hipster dork thing and pick him," but I, I couldn't do it. Yeah, Ben Uzo like maybe was like he was like six of nineteen in that game. He might have been like the third or fourth best Raptor, right? Um, yeah, like because Alabi had the eleven and nineteen. I think Gary Forbes led the team in, in shots attempted that game and was like eight of twenty one. Uh, what an insane basketball yeah. game to have happened. Um, yeah, the DeMar game's amazing. I remember like th- that game so vividly. That that was such a great DeMar year, obviously, and it led to him, you know, kind of being sexy enough as a trade chip to get Kawhi. Um, but like, mm-hmm. there was so like that was the season he started off with all those thirty point games as well. Like broke like some sort of Michael Jordan record. And then when yeah. Kyle got hurt later in the year, and we'll get to one of those games as well today. Um, there was another great game where he uh, like where he'd like, sorry, another, another stretch, sorry, where Kyle was out and he was just like amazing for a long run. He had the Celtics game. He had a game winner over the, over the Knicks. Uh, and then another game we'll get to a little bit later, but that was a great DeMar year. And yeah, he definitely wins this matchup. Although Ben Uzo, I think rightfully belongs in the bracket somewhere. Um, 
Let's go on in a second to the 8-9 matchup in the Wayne Embry region. But first, let me tell you about Postmates. Everybody, you got to stay home right now. Self-isolation is very important. But that's okay because Postmates is here for you from an early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you watch, uh, I guess not the game, maybe the old replayed games if you want to do that. Uh, Postmates is there for you. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. And also, they keep me from going outside into the world and contaminating others. Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushis, though. Sushis? That's not it. They actually make my life easier with grocery delivery. Another great thing for these trying times. And whatever you can think of delivery as well. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. You need some tools or something like that. Postmates mates can cover you there no more trips to the store no more late night food runs no more contaminating others with your covid19 just download postmates on ios or android find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour and for a limited time postmates is offering our listeners 100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days to start your free deliveries download the app and use code locked on nba all one word that's code locked on nba for 100 bucks of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Uh, all right, James, let's get into the 8-9 matchup. Kawhi Leonard's 45 points against the Utah Jazz on the one-year anniversary of DeMar's 52-point game up against Marcus Camby's highest-ever game score game for the Raptors. 36, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, and 4 blocks against the Sixers in March 1997. What do you got in this matchup? You're going to be shocked. But I'm going with Camby, even though I couldn't go back and watch it. I don't totally remember it, but that's just a <laughs> kick-ass line, man. It is pretty like, awesome. <laughs> we can give Kawhi his props elsewhere. Like, Marcus Camby, like, let me be honest. I owned a Marcus Camby jersey at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, he was one of my favorite players. Uh, he will always be underrated. Uh, I vividly remember arguing with people who thought the Raptors should have taken Sharif Abdurrahim because he was scoring more points. Mm-hmm. And even back then, when I was, like, 11 years old or whatever i was like but defense (laughs) and um i am still yelling but defense at people to this day so for that reason i am not even really going to make an argument obviously there was a lot of skill involved in what Kawhi did he it was like a dribbling exhibition just creating shots whenever he wanted getting wherever he wanted blah 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 45 points at the time i think was a career high um might still be i don't know uh but um, the Camby line is just crazy, and he was really fun to watch uh, back then, and I think we should honor him for it. Yeah, I think I'm going to go to Camby here, too, just because yes. Kawhi's line, while impressive scoring-wise, he only had one assist in the game, and so I'm going to side with the balance of Marcus Camby here. And also, Kawhi will, as you said, have his day later on in the tournament for sure. Um, Camby, I'm sad I didn't really get to watch him it, it, like with the Raptors. Obviously, you know he was like an all-time great 2K player with like the Nuggets just swatting every shot, <laughs> uh, and he obviously had himself a very nice career. Although I, I feel like I remember there being some sort of you know kind of like similar to DeAndre Jordan discourse. Like, yeah, he blocks a lot of shots, but is he actually that good a defender? Um, I don't know if that was valid or not, but I'll I'll give Canby the nod here. Even though the team they beat was uh, a very very bad Sixers team. Like very very bad. I think they were like 15 They're, and 48. <laughs> the the he only blocks shots thing might have been valid for like this version of Canby. Like baby Canby, mm-hmm. but later on he did develop into like an extremely intelligent 
like defensive player who could basically shut down the entire paint and he could like he was quick enough to move on the perimeter like he he is honestly like a pretty modern player Mm -hmm. uh it was just it was not a modern time so it was uh it was not really like at this point i i don't know if people fully appreciated what he did aside from like he was obviously super athletic he finished a lot of alley-oops he ran the floor uh everybody thought that we were going to be watching years and years of damon stoudemire uh and can on the break Mm. and that did not happen certainly did not uh let's go on to the 5 versus 12 matchup in the Wayne Embry region uh this to me is one of the most difficult matchups for me to decide and I'm gonna have to you know use your use your wisdom here to help make my decision uh Vince Carter scores 47 on the Milwaukee Bucks this is a game I wrote about this is the John Thomas game uh he was on the ticket I wrote the piece about it earlier this month for Raptors.com um yeah Vince scores 47 he's incredible he goes 20 of 32 finishes the game with a dunk where he lobs it to himself off the backboard in traffic and then has a windmill dunk back to back this is like four weeks before the dunk contest in Oakland and he's up against DeMar DeRozan's game against the Chicago Bulls in 2017. This was during that stretch where Kyle Lowry was out. DeMar goes for 42 points, 7 rebounds, 8 assists. He only shoots 17 of 38, but he duels Jimmy Butler, and the Raptors win in overtime to break the Bulls' curse and win, their first, win for the first time in 11 games against Chicago. And I remember this game vividly because I wrote a recap afterwards, like the next day on this game for HQ, and... I didn't. The piece I wrote was counting down the ten most absurd plays Demar made in the fourth quarter in overtime of this game because <laughs> he just had so many ridiculous moments and it was great and super fun. And so I think I'm leaning towards the Demar game here, even though I love this Vince game so much and it's the first game I ever attended. But I, I don't know. What, where, where are you leaning here? Well, I'll start with Demar. Uh, this was against one of my least favorite teams in recent basketball history, the three alphas Bulls team. <laughs> Dwayne Wade didn't play, so I guess it, they only had two alphas that night. Uh, but, I mean, the, the Raptors were down in this game. Like, you're counting down the, the DeMar moments because they had to make a comeback and force overtime uh, without Lowry and DeMar kind of doing everything. And it's it was it, they're cool highlights to go back and watch because he did get into a duel with Jimmy Butler. And I think that said a lot about where DeMar had kind of reached at that point in his career because early on in his career Jimmy was one of those guys that just gave him hell Mm -hmm. like DeMar had a lot of trouble even getting shots off against him and in this game like he scored over Butler but he was also just really crafty in terms of uh, running pick and rolls and making plays and getting other people on him and shooting like floaters over Robin Lopez and just kind of scoring in every which way imaginable Um, and so it was an awesome game but I, it's hard for me to be like, yeah, I'm going with that over the Vince game. And this is a classic Vince game. And I think the one thing you didn't mention mm-hmm. is the context around this. This was right after yes. uh, the preliminary rosters for the Olympics came out. And Ray Allen was on the team and Vince Carter was left off. And he was pissed. So he came out and he just went at the Bucks and wanted to basically tear their heads off and after the game like ray allen said like yeah this is all about the olympics i could tell <laughs> because there was some like physicality in that game too like from oakley which i'm sure surprises nobody um but i think just the fact that it was like vince making a point and he had some like classic highlights like if you watch any of those vince carter mixtapes that you've probably watched a million times like you'll see that self alley-oop you'll see that 
insane windmill. Like, by the way, like nobody windmills like Vince in the history of basketball. No, no one has ever done that. And he that that is an absolutely classic one uh, that he had in this particular game. And then he also had a bunch of like mid-range jumpers. And this is at the point of his career. It's like his jumper looks a little different in like this game than it would even the next year. Uh, because he reworked mm-hmm. it, and uh, it it's cool to go back and watch and just see him go off like that in that context. So I'm picking Vince. The Demar game was really cool, uh, and I think the degree of difficulty was pretty high because, as you said, no Lowry and Demar was basically the entire offense. And at times the Bulls were sending like multiple guys at him, and it just kind of didn't matter. Um, but I mean, Vince was sort of dealing with similar stuff too, where he just mm-hmm started piling up on the points and Milwaukee was trying to make other people do it. And Vince just kept doing it. Yeah. You've talked me into it. I'm taking the Vince game. Uh, I don't know. I, the part of me about the DeMar game was speaking to me a little bit, but then I remembered, Oh yeah, that was my first ever game. That was uh, the, the whole Olympic thing was very much on the minds of everybody. I think watching that game. And so, yeah, I'm going with Vince as well. Uh, we go to the next matchup. Another really, really tough one. The four seed Kyle Lowry's duel with Steph Curry, December 5th, 2015, when the Warriors came to town 20-0 and during their 24-0 and start, and the Raptors offered, to that point, the, be- the best test I think they had faced. Against the number 13 seed, Amir Johnson's 32 points and 10 rebounds against the Lakers on the day of the Rudy Gay trade, where he goes, what was the score shooting line again for Amir in this one? 14 of 17 from the floor, uh, and the Raptors yep. win with eight <laughs> players against the Lakers and set themselves on the trajectory that they are still riding now. Um, where are you leading with this? one this is a really tough one as well this is not fair but i'm going with amir johnson (laughs) like i think objectively kyle lowry had the more impressive like single game Mm -hmm. stat line performance whatever the sort of shots that he was making the plays that he were making were uh more difficult than the sort of stuff amir was doing but my god 14 of 17 and this is a situation where there were literally guys crying in the locker room before the game um like that trade was supposed to be uh, the end of something mm. rather than the beginning of something. And it ended up obviously setting the stage for this whole thing uh, that ends up culminating in a championship and who knows where it goes from here. But I think I like, we're going to get to Lowry in this a little bit more, but mm-hmm. I think this just sort of gives us an opportunity to talk about like what Amir Johnson was back then. In that, like, I think if you just watched him in the, like, final couple of years of his career in the NBA, like, you think of him as this sort of, like, kind of role player, like, sort of a defensive-minded guy, blah, blah, blah. And, like, he was a role player. He was a defensive-minded guy. But he was just such a helpful player for, like, every moment that he was on the court in his Mm -hmm. prime. Uh, He was such a good screen setter. He was a really good finisher. He was a pretty good passer. Uh, He was an excellent rebounder like the most unselfish guy on the court always and this was a bit of an anomaly because he was doing all that stuff but then he was also just like shooting jumpers because he got (laughs) hot and like i'm in the middle of reading ben cohen's book the hot hand and like it is debatable whether or not the hot hand actually exists um but i think if you watch this and you watch the sort of shots that he's taking like just kind of like facing up against Pau Gasol and launching like 15 footers, 17 footers. Like 
you at least know he believed he had the hot hand and his teammates believed he had the hot hand. And it started with just his normal like dunks and hooks and like runners and stuff like that. But by the end of it, it's like Amir Johnson just having the absolute time of his life doing it in his hometown and they get a win when they desperately needed it. And I think if the Raptors had won that game against the Warriors, if they had ended their streak, because I believe that win made the Warriors 21 and 0 on the mm-hmm. year, like then, yeah, I'd have to pick Kyle, but like they lost the game. Lowry was incredible. I'm sorry. I, I have to go with Amir. This is like the high watermark of Amir Johnson's Raptors tenure. And it was the beginning of an incredible story. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Amir just because it was his career high and because it was such a turning point for the franchise. I remember that Lowry game so vividly because that was also the night that TFC lost in penalty kicks in their first MLS Cup. That was like a low-key amazing (laughs) Toronto sports night. Um, And I remember I was at a Christmas party, like sneaking out of dinner to go and watch like TFC and Kyle Lowry up against Steph Curry. And like the buzz around that Warriors team when they were twenty and zero, like that was like insane that season. It was I know they were still sort yeah. of like this traveling roadshow in later years, but they were more so that in no. that year before KD got there than any other time. And it was just like they were know. the biggest story in sports. Yeah, and that's part of why I want to pick Amir mm-hmm. because to me, I think of that night. I was at that game, and the story was the Warriors. Yeah, yeah, fair the enough. The story if if the Raptors had won, then sure. But, like, the story was, like, Steph had one of his flurries at the end of that game, just hit a bunch of threes in a row, mm-hmm. finished with 44. Like, he he won the duel with, with Lowry, and the Warriors won the game. They just barely escaped. Um, but, like, you're, it, you're right. It was a traveling roadshow. It was the postgame locker room was so crowded. <laughs> um, there were so many people there before the game to watch Curry shoot around. There were so many people in Warriors jerseys, like – they every game at that point was appointment viewing and you were looking at this Warriors team and no matter who you rooted for they were your second favorite team at that time like at that time if you had said the Warriors would go on to be this juggernaut everybody hates them they're seen as like ruining the game blah 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 people would laugh like they were absolutely beloved and like that is what I remember is just how joyful the Warriors were at that time and how they were playing. And again, if the Raptors had actually done it, if they had upset him, and then that would have been an amazing accomplishment for that Raptors team. Lowry was unbelievable in that game. He did everything he could. But it's just when I think about that game, I, st- I still just it's like you said, like I just I just think about Golden State. Yeah, yeah. So we move on uh, with Golden. Or sorry, with Amir Johnson moving on for both of us to the six eleven matchup. Poor Pascal Siakam, I think, is in a little bit tough. Earlier this season, he's the 11th seed. He scored 44 points, 10 boards, 4 assists against the Pelicans in a game that the Raptors lost Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka in the first quarter, and things seemed kind of dire, and then Pascal kicked ass, and they ended up kind of being just fine without Serge and Kyle for a little while, mostly because Pascal had that insane run at the start of the season. However, he is up against the number six seed, Danielle Marshall, who once hit 12 threes in a game, which was insanely cool. Uh, this is a pretty <laughs> chalk matchup, correct? No. No. I'm going with Pascal. Whoa. I, listen. <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> I, I would have reflexively picked Danielle as well. But then I went mm-hmm. back and I watched it. And I don't know what the fuck Jim O'Brien was thinking coaching that team. But they were just helping off of Danielle Marshall all night. Like, 
I was watching these and I wrote it down. I was like, open corner, open corner, open corner, open corner. Not as open, but in the corner. Not as open, but in the corner. Open top of key, open in the corner. Uh, contested three on the wing, but it's in rhythm. Open in the corner, open in the corner, open in the corner. Like, that is how we got his 12 threes. Mm-hmm. Like, the, they were not hard shots. It is impressive, of course, that, like, anybody can hit that many in a game. Uh, even just shooting 19 in a game at that time, like, that was not happening. But I think the fact that he was able to get off that many threes tells you a lot about the awful strategy that was played against the Raptors that night. So it's cool. It will be remembered. It will go. It has gone down in history, whereas the Siakam one will not. But if you watch what Siakam did in that game, he did everything. Mm -hmm. Like he was scoring from all over the place, off the bounce, in the post, like threes off the dribble, threes off the catch. And like the Pelicans tried guarding him with like a whole bunch of different people. He was just killing Ingram at the beginning. By the end of it, Drew Holiday is trying to guard him in the middle. You had like Kenrick, Kenrich Williams and Josh Hart, like whatever. And I, I just thought like that, that was a spectacular performance by Pascal. And the degree of difficulty was just like on a complete different level than what Danielle Marshall did, which is basically like warm up shots for most of the night. So that, that is my argument. Well, I, I feel like kind of a coward, just like, like relenting to your wonderfully placed arguments, but I can't really d- deny that you, you've convinced me that I'm going to go with Pascal in this matchup as well. You're doing a good job of this and helping ease my. Uh, you don't have to pick the same ones as me. Weak mind. No, I know, but you're making good points. I don't know. What can I do, man? <laughs> you're, you're just you're, you're making good arguments. I, I I know this is not very good sports radio, but whatever. You make a good point. Um, let's go to okay. the next matchup. This is the most chalk matchup. Terrence Ross's 51-point game. He's the three-seed in the Wayne Embry region up against Chris Bosh, who scored 37, 14, and 5 in the game in which Morris Peterson hit the miracle three at the buzzer. People forget that. Mo Pete only played like 30 seconds in this game, hit that one three, and got out. Chris Bosh was there the whole night putting up 37, 14, and 5. He shot 15 and 24 in the game. I got to say, James, it was really hard for me to come up with Chris Bosh games for this because while he had a lot of very prolific outings, a lot of them came in losses and a lot of them came, you know, just sort of in very sort of understated ways. And I could not really think of standout games. So I figured this game itself sort of was memorable enough that Bosh should be included because of how good he was there. Um, I don't know. It, It was tough. But Terrence Ross, like... People, look, man, there's a Terrence Ross picture hanging over this desk as we record this. I'm literally wearing my, I just realized I'm wearing my Terrence Ross jersey as well. Um, like, <laughs> look, it's it's my pick to win the tournament, I think, like, very easily. Um, I, I Very easily, wow. Maybe, maybe this bracket. I think the other side is a little bit more stout with a couple uh, real contenders, but I think it's going to win this mm. side of the region. And, and I just, I've never seen a player make it look so easy the way Terrence Ross did that night against the Clippers. That was also the context of it matters too. That was part of that like wonderful run after the Amir Johnson game and the trade. And this was like a month and a half into it. And we were still just getting used to just like fun basketball, winning basketball. And to have Terrence Ross go out there and do that, a guy who, you know, I think some people had already soured on by then or just weren't really terribly enthused by for him to go and do that. I, I it just, man, it was like, 
the easiest 51 points I've ever seen by I mean, like it was just yeah it was so smooth I, I still maintain that Terrence Ross has the like the, the nicest looking jumper in the entire NBA when he's going and I, uh, I I I love this game it's my favorite Raptors performance of all time where uh, what did you think of this matchup did you have a different Chris Bosh game you would like to see here I don't know it was tough to find games for Bosh I feel bad for Bosh because I think his kind of tenure in Toronto was defined by like his growth as a player into a high level star that was like just extremely dependable and consistent every night. And yeah, could erupt for like mid thirties, um, like somewhat frequently, but his eruptions weren't going to be like insane. And he wasn't going to make like crazy highlight plays or anything. Mm-hmm. Like he might end up getting like an and one dunk or something or like a a nice alley-oop or whatever. But like a lot of his work was like kind of just facing up guys, jab stepping them, shooting over them. Or if a guy comes and like tries to pressure him, he would, he was quicker than the big guys and get to the rim. Like he, he was a very cerebral player and he developed so much. He was pretty raw when they drafted him and he, he, he is one of the greatest Raptors ever based on what he did there. And his last season in Toronto was one of the best seasons anyone has ever had in a uniform. But I completely understand why you had trouble finding games because mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have a defining moment. He doesn't have a defining game and he doesn't have a whole lot of performances that you can stack up against um, these other ones. And like, he obviously had a much better Raptors career than Terrence Ross, but I don't think this is close. I don't think Bosch's best moment, whatever you think that is, rivals Ross going off for 51 like that and I had literally written down so smooth and so smooth in my notes for these game for this game too and it was crazy I remember being there uh the Raptors lost the game which you didn't mention because who cares in your mind I'm sure the Raptors won the game because Terrence Ross had his best moment but uh no I mean I was there I remember I was I wasn't planning on like writing about that game like I had interviewed Jamal Crawford that day and was just going to like mm-hmm. post a Q&A and like use the game to provide some like color for the intro of the story or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then Ross started doing that and I remember getting a, a G-chat or an email or something from Jonathan Charks who we were both at SB Nation at the time. And uh, he was like, "You're going to write about this?" I was like, "Yeah. <laughs> I, I I will I will gladly do that." Um and it it felt like his coming out party, but it was crazy. Like I went back and looked at that story, and it was like that week. Like this was a sa- this was um a Saturday night, mm-hmm. and on the Monday he'd scored one point <laughs> in Charlotte, and on the Wednesday he'd scored three points against the Mavericks. He was averaging nine point two points coming into that game. His career high was twenty six, and then he goes out there and he goes for fifty one, and no player in NBA history at that point averaging single digits had ever scored fifty. So he was literally making history that night. Uh, on a league level, not just in terms of Raptors franchise history. And if you go back and watch it, like, yeah, some of those threes, because he hit 10 of them, were of the Danielle Marshall variety, mm-hmm. but not all of them. Mm-hmm. Like, he was hitting difficult ones. He was hitting shots off the bounce. Um, he was using the threat of the three to, like, drive to the basket and score, which was something that I think over his entire Raptors tenure, like, people wanted him to be more aggressive and make plays and, like, take contact and, and do all of that stuff. And uh, even now, like, yeah, he's he can slash and dunk, but, like, you don't see him dribbling into traffic a lot and making plays. And his confidence level was just so high. He just, he, you could tell he felt like everything was going to go in regardless of if it was... 
um, off the bouncer, off the catch, or what have you. And it, it, he was just money from everywhere. It was, it was absolutely incredible. Like Crawford, the guy who I talked to that night, also had a really good game that night. Like they were both kind of hot at the same time for a little while there. Um, but the Clippers just sort of were allowing Ross to shoot at first. And then when they realized what was happening, it was too late. Like just everything was going to go in. And I will always remember that game. I'll always remember that night. I'll always remember just how sort of confused everyone was <laughs> just like on Twitter that night because people were like, what is going on? Um, and then I remember thinking like he can build on this like this. And I'm sure you felt the same way given what Terrence Ross means to you. But I was like, like if he just does a little bit, like he doesn't have to score like 50 all the time. Like he doesn't even have to score like 20 all the time. But like if he can just like mix, like mix in more of this kind of confidence and aggressiveness, like maybe this can be big for him and he can be an all-star player. Cause at the time you were thinking like, Oh, I think he'd already been in the dunk contest at this point. Um, He'd and already won he a dunk contest. Be, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. Okay. Yes. He'd, he'd won a dunk count. Well, yes. Those dunk contests in that era were a little weird. Well, no. Yes, he he beat he beat Jeremy um, Evans, good and true, uh, in sure, that one. And then sure. the next one was yeah, not it was the team one where he the team one was yeah terrible nightmare. Um, but yes, the one that he actually yes that was legit. Uh, but you saw him as a guy he could win a three point contest, he could win a dunk contest, and you thought like his ceiling seemed so high at that point. Uh, there just seemed like there was so much potential and he made it look so easy when he played well. Uh, but the problem was, he, you know, sometimes he'd be sort of invisible and the Raptors offense dictated what Chauncey was getting most of the time. He wasn't taking it upon himself to take over a game. And like this was like one of the few exceptions to that. And it was really, I don't know, it was one of a kind. It was amazing. I can understand why he why he uh, is going to win your bracket. I will not reveal <laughs> how far he gets in mind. King shit from Terrence Ross. Uh, next up, we got Walt Williams, the seven seed, who had 33-12-6-2-4 against the Phoenix Suns on February 1st, 1997, against Kawhi Leonard's 38-point game and game winner, which uh, looked eerily similar to his game winner against the Sixers in Game 7 on uh, what day was this? It was sometime. I think the date's wrong here on the actual post, which I'll, will get fixed, but it happened, I think, in February or March or something like that against the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, like almost two on the nose <laughs> this Kawhi game winner is it's ridiculous <laughs> what's your pick in this matchup I'm going Kawhi for sure um just because maybe recency bias I don't really remember Walt Williams all that much but just that game and the foreshadowing elements to it I think kind of stand out to me well I think you would have loved Walt Williams because he was smooth too and he would do like random fancy stuff sometimes um mm-hmm. I don't remember this particular game I could not find any highlights of it so my apologies to the wizard uh (laughs) but but i'm not going with him i still kind of feel bad that i didn't pick uh at the beginning of this and i went with camby so i'm gonna give him the nod here even though the jazz game might have been better this ends up being far more memorable because of what you said that very eerie foreshadowing like few bounces that that game winner had, which it was not the exact same shot, but it was from the same part of the court. Mm-hmm. And his follow through looked the same. He got a lot of a lot more arc on it than his normal shot, which is the same as the shot. So, yeah, it was it was it was a big game for him. But I, I think we're we're both probably picking it because of the buzzer beater. It was tough to like the game decipher. Winner. 
between Kawhi games because there were so many that were just like similarly robotic. Where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, thirty five, and he you know kicked ass, and he was amazing, and he you know. Oh, well, look at that. He's flashing the, the playmaking a little bit more. And uh, it just it seemed like every single night. So um, I think the the buzzer beater distinguishes this one a little bit. It was also yeah. one of his higher rated uh, game score games as well. Um, let's go on. We are taking so much time. We're not even through the Wayne Embry yet. Let's go to the final matchup in the Wayne Embry region. Vince Carter scores 48 against the Milwaukee Bucks on November the 18th, 2000, up against uh, Damon Stoudemire, leading the Raps past the Bulls in that game where they beat Michael Jordan's 72-win Bulls. Uh, you have 34-11 in that game. What are you going with here? Do we have a Florida Gulf Coast situation brewing with the 15 seed? Yeah, we do. Going yeah. Oh, Me too. That, <laughs> that is a night I will never forget. I was I was there along with like thirty six thousand other people, and it it's you don't necessarily remember it as like the Damon game because you remember it as that they upset the Bulls, uh, the seventy two win Bulls. <laughs> uh, but Damon was absolutely spectacular, and I just based on the kind of context there and how important it was for the franchise at that moment. Like I'm sorry. To Vince, I, I gotta pick. I gotta pick the Damon, and, and we already gave Vince the, a game against like the same team. Yeah, like, with in a one fewer time point, period, but so. maybe some more sort of contextual uh, weight to it. I don't really remember. Yes. Like, like yeah, cool. He scored forty eight on the Bucks again. Like, great. Uh, it's, it's not his fault. He was so good all the time and did the did, did these things to the Bucks all the time. But I think uh, Damon here with. Like, that's the game I think that's been replayed the most on, like, NBA TV Canada. That'll be replaced at some point by, like, game six of the finals or whatever down the line. But I, I th- I'm pretty sure that's the game that Raptors fans probably have watched the most times. Um, and Damon was awesome in it. Also, shouts to Oliver Miller, who was really good in that game, too. But uh, <laughs> it goes to Damon. So we've done the Wayne Embry region. I think we've gone the same here. Uh, Kyle Lauer, sorry, DeMar DeRozan is the one seed moving on over Ben Uzo. Kawhi Leonard falling as the eight to the number nine seed, Marcus Camby. Vince Carter at the five, beating DeMar DeRozan at the number 12 in the Bulls game. Uh, an upset, the 13 seed, Amir Johnson taking down Kyle Lowry in his duel with Steph Curry. Pascal Siakam taking down Danielle Marshall, 11 over six. Terrence Ross, of course, getting by 314 over Chris Bosh. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, seven over 10. And then uh, Walt Williams and then Damon Stoudemire pulling off the upset over Vince Carter. Do we have the same bracket? I believe so. Oh wow! Well, let's see, see if we can have more debate in the next one. Uh, <laughs> I have locked it in. So unless, wait, did you have Siakam? Did I convince you on Siakam? Yeah, you, you, I, I, yeah, I, I, I kowtowed to your demands. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's go to the John Saunders region, which uh, is equally juicy. I think there might even be some more really standout ones in this one. It's some random ass ones too. Uh, first one is the number one seed Kyle Lowry in his forty-three point game over. The uh, Cleveland Cavaliers hitting the step-back winner in a 99-97 victory uh, in a game in which he was really the only good Raptor. <laughs> Everyone else went 6 of 24. Yes. That said, Terrence Ross did have 15 points off the bench to uh, be number two on the team in scoring. Um, but Lowry was incredible. Career-high 43 points in what was billed at the time as the biggest regular season game in Raptors history. The Cavs came in at 40-16. and 16. The Raptors were two games back of number one in the East. And this was sort of like a, a test to earned contender status for the Raptors a little bit and they did it it was an awesome game I remember this was a Friday night I watched it at my parents house it kicked ass Uh, he's up against PJ Tucker's second Raptors debut 
This is the lowest game score of any game included in the tournament, but I think he deserves to be here because of how memorable it was when he came on the red eye from Phoenix, suited up, and just absolutely punked the Celtics in the first game after the All-Star break with Kyle Lowry out, getting to know Serge Ibaka in what would become a very, very daunting 4-5 defensive back, uh, back line. Really great game from P.J. Tucker. Epic post-game as well, where he like talked about making DeMar DeRozan good at defense and said, we'll get there. It uh, <laughs> was like calling out the team's <laughs> defense his first day there. Uh, but Kyle wins this easily, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, this is an era of Raptors basketball where there were a few games every year where the reporters would joke about like, oh, is this a measuring stick game or a litmus <laughs> test? Or a, is there such a thing as a litmus stick? Like, this, this is... Um, one of those where there was a lot of kind of pressure on the Raptors to prove to uh, people outside of Toronto, I think, and inside even, that they were like, quote unquote, for real. Mm -hmm. And for Lowry to come out and score a career high and hit a game-winning jumper in a situation like that, like, it doesn't... I think there would probably be people who look back and laugh and say, like, who cares about that? Like, those Raptors teams always lost to the Cavs when it mattered, blah, blah, blah. But at the time, it did feel extremely meaningful and it was a huge game and that was the season where they actually did take two games from the Cavs before mm -hmm. getting destroyed by them <laughs> but but yeah it was just it was it was a huge performance it was a clutch performance the PJ thing was cool but I don't really think it's in the same sort of world as the Lowry one no I think it it has earned its right in the tournament it won a mid-major conference you know congrats on doing that but uh, does not really have any business going further. We move on to the 8-9 matchup, a pretty tough one as well. Another 44-point game from Pascal Siakam. He's the 9 seed when he scored 44 against the Wizards in the final game before the All-Star break last season in a Kawhi Leonard man load management day. And the 8 seed is Morris Peterson scoring 37 points against the Boston Celtics. I believe his second highest scoring total for the Raptors, but it was his highest scoring total in a win over a Celtics team that was not awesome in 2005, but still, Mo Pete had a really good game. He was 12-22. He had four boards, six assists. He made seven threes. He was good. Um, who do you have in this matchup? This is a weird one. I'm not really sure where to lean. I'm going with Siakam. Mm -hmm. I mean, for a player like that to score 44 points at that time, like it was just kind of mind-boggling. And, you know, he'd had a really good year, and there were people – probably people like us who were making the argument that he should be an all-star or at least should like maybe be an all-star. And this was right before all-star last year and they were trailing in the game. And then he went nuts and he scored 30 of his points in the second half. And it was another one of those sort of like the Pascal game we were talking about earlier, where he was just doing a little of everything. Mm -hmm. like he was making the corner threes. He was getting to the rim. He was doing, he was like, just running circles around the Wizards in transition and all of that. And I think at that point, his career high was like 33 or something like that. It was like mid to low 30s. And the idea that this guy who, yes, he had broken out for sure. You knew he was like almost certainly going to win most improved player at that point. But actually scoring 44 in a game like that did that felt like something was happening. And mm -hmm. I think you can sort of point to a few significant moments on this, like, ridiculous Pascal Siakam story, uh, in that story, excuse me. And, like, this is absolutely one of them. The Mo Pete game is cool, but I feel like it's almost more of, like, a statistical anomaly. Like, like Mo Pete was a really good player 
uh, as like a sort of, you know, secondary tertiary, I guess, playmaker for the Raptors and a floor spacer and a good defender and all that. And like, this was the night that he just made a ton of threes and he got hot and he scored a little more than you would expect. And that's, that's really great. But I also don't, don't have the benefits of going back and watching highlights mm-hmm. for that game. So it's, it's harder for me to give it proper context. So I'm going with Siakam. Yeah. It almost feels weird to move Mo Pete on in a tournament of individual performances because that was never his thing, right? He was always just the great no. team guy. He was the guy who played a bazillion games in a row. Um, so I'm also going Siakam here. It was really, if you look back, sort of uh, like if you were looking for reasons to think that maybe P- Pascal could become a number one option this season, that was a game. And a lot of the games where Kawhi sat yeah. were sort of in that vein of like, oh, no, he did it for those that small sample. Let's see if that extends out over the course of a season. Lo and behold, it did. Uh, let's move on to the number 5-12 matchup. This is uh, a banger of a matchup, dude. I, I'm... I'm torn. Uh, Charlie Villanueva was 48 points as a rookie, uh, which, what a sentence that is. And up against the number 12 seed, Kawhi Leonard's 37 points in the overtime duel with Kevin Durant uh, against the Warriors team that did not have Steph Curry on November 29th, 2018. But KD was ridiculous. He pushed it to overtime with just like an absurd last couple minutes. And Kawhi held strong. And the Raptors came out with the win. Um I don't know. Tell me what to do, James. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Go with Charlie V. This was unbelievable. This was a revenge game. Uh, he was... Uh, actually, I guess it wasn't a revenge game. Um, I misspoke there. But it was. he was a rookie. Uh, it was absolutely out of nowhere. It made everybody think, oh, like maybe this guy does have the potential that the Raptors were trying to sell everybody on and saying, like, he's this big guy that can shoot from anywhere. He's so versatile. He's so skilled. And, like, really, he was considered a reach when he was selected as high as he was. And then he goes out there and he gets 48 points. Like, that was nuts. That is legendary. I could not pick Ben Uzo uh, in, in this bracket with a good conscience, but I can pick another similar sort of moment in Raptors lore, the time that Charlie V went nuts uh <laughs> against milwaukee um so i'm i'm going with that the Kawhi game was obviously awesome but uh you know durant scored more points in that game like the duel wasn't like an outright victory for Kawhi or anything like that even though he was making incredible shots and playing an amazing game until you made that very last point i was gonna go with Kawhi, but yeah <laughs> I think I'm probably going to go Charlie V. It's so dumb that that happened. Like, the best kind of dumb, but oh my god, it's so dumb. (laughs) It's so great. He finished second in Rookie of the Year voting that year. That's crazy. Yeah. It was, like, easily the best season of his career. Oh, I mean, that's not not debatable. Like, I think he might have scored more in another season, but he was... It was it was such a strange career for that guy, um, but he just seemed to have so much promise back then, and a lot of it honestly was like strictly based off of that game, because mm-hmm. it was like when he's at his best he can do something like that, like he can just he's he's huge, and he's a shooter and he actually was never really by percentage that good of a three point shooter, uh, he was never that efficient of a basketball player really at all, 
Um, but that night he just could not be stopped and it just, it blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, so Charlie V moves on. Uh, action. Mm. Kawhi's tough, You can take man. Kawhi. I think I'm going to take Kawhi. That game was insane. It was like... They, it was a TNT was, game. It was a big deal. There was so much built up to it. And as much as the Portland game was awesome, I remember this Kawhi game way more. And I, I think I got to go Kawhi. I, I, as much as it pains me to say no to yeah. Charlie V, the Raptors lost that game to the Bucks. As much as Charlie V tried to help, um, filling in for an injured <laughs> Chris Bosh, I just... I, I'm going to go with Kawhi, and I don't feel good about it, but I got to do it. Um... Okay. Yeah, my conscience was screaming at me a little bit there. Let's go to the next one, the 413 matchup in the John Saunders region. Vince Carter's 51 points on national TV, the first national TV game for the Raptors in 2000 against uh, Jose Calderon, the number 13 seed, his 22.19 assist game against the Chicago Bulls. What do you got here, James? I thought less about this than any other selection in this, in this entire tournament. It is Vince. It is yeah. not close. That yeah. was a... His layups were spectacular in that game. <laughs> like, I mean, I remember watching it. I wasn't there, um, but it it was it was absolutely a huge deal. They were on national TV. Ahmad Rashad was doing sideline for that game, <laughs> um, and he goes off for fifty one. And soon after that, is the most popular basketball player on the planet. Yeah, I've long maintained that this game is the reason that he was the antagonist and like Mike. He just became too cool <laughs> to not include in that movie. Uh, the best basketball movie there is, by the way. Uh, Jose Calderon <laughs> <Wow>. also... <laughs> sorry, just true. Um, Jose Calderon was awesome. I, I'm, gl- I'm sad we couldn't get more Jose in this tournament, but kind of like Mo Pete, he was just kind of all about steadiness and not really popping in any sort of significant way. And his other 19 it's assist It's kind of like Bosch, too, man. Yeah, it's weird. What a strange era. Um, his other game, too that he had 19 assists he only had six points and was like two for seven from the field so i couldn't include that one and so unfortunately jose's run comes to an end in the first round but that vince game is uh i'm looking at a potential matchup uh in the whatever round this is the the the, the elite eight of kyle's game against the Cavs in that vince game and that is uh pretty pretty tantalizing let's go on to the Mm -hmm. bottom half of the bracket the 6-11 matchup. Number six, the most recent entry, OG Ananobi's uh, game of 32 points and seven steals that happened on the calendar 19 days ago. But, oh, my God, it feels so long ago that such a beautiful thing <laughs> could happen on a basketball court uh, And when OG just completely eviscerated the Nuggets. It was a loss, but they were insanely shorthanded. OG played center for a lot of that game against Nikola Jokic because Ronda Hellis-Jefferson was having a rough one. He is up against Lou Williams in the game where Lou Williams really kind of hit the scene for the Raptors against the Cleveland Cavaliers. In Cleveland, the Raptors picking up a win on LeBron's home court, which uh, would come to be a very rare thing for uh, LeBron-led teams against the Raptors in (laughs) Cleveland. Um, But Lou Williams with 36 points off the bench in an early season matchup that was super duper fun as the Raptors were, I think, doing like a uh, in the middle of like a 24 and 7 start that year. Um, Obviously, that season ended not so great, but it started off awesome and Lou Williams was a big part of it. What do you have in this 6-11 matchup? So I went with OG, but I want to talk about Lou first. I think yeah. this was like so representative of what Lou Williams did for the Raptors. Like before the bench mob era, there was like the like the entire offense revolving around one guy. Like basically yeah. the opposite um philosophy, <laughs> but it really worked. Mm-hmm. Like Lou Williams was an offense unto himself and there were moments where like LeBron stepped up and was like, I'm gonna guard this guy, and then Lou would score anyway. 
And I think it looks a little bit less impressive, though, if you go back and watch it, because, yeah, he hit some crazy shots, but, like, he was 15 of 15 from the line. And, like, Mm -hmm. just watching him draw contact and be, like, crafty and sneaky and all of that on the way to a huge game, like, yeah, it's very efficient, but it's not necessarily as impressive. Like, when you go back and watch what OG was doing, like, so many of his points were coming from, like, him forcing turnovers and then going the other way. And I think, like, it actually felt significant because, like, in that game is an argument that OG has secretly been a small ball center all along, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which you can go back. This is weirdly going to be the second time I mentioned John Charks on this podcast, but before he was drafted, (laughs) Charks had a story on on the ringer about OG Ananobi and how he could be a center in the NBA, and that hasn't really came to pass, but, like, you watch that game and you kind of get it, and... It was just kind of an unbelievable performance on both ends, whereas Luz was just on uh, one end. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going with OG. It feels more significant to me, even though I, I went into it thinking I would pick Lou before I watched the, the highlights, just because he had an incredible season, was the deserving sixth man of the year that year. Yeah, I couldn't in good conscience go with Lou here, just because I hated that season so much. Uh, I think my first post ever was about like lose shots at the end of quarters and how the entire offense basically revolved around him whenever he was on the floor regardless if it was Demar or Kyle like he was always hijacking possessions I did not uh, much care for it really and that that Cleveland it was game, efficient though it was efficient sure but also like was never going to hold up in the postseason because he was never getting to the line 15 times in the postseason like he did against the Cavs yeah. in this one and so that is the reason why I could not possibly choose Lou Williams the worst <laughs> experience of my life was going to game two against the wizards in that game oh man that was the game where lou got his six man of the year award and i was just like stewing and, and angry in my seat as that happened and then that was also the game where the crowd gave james johnson a standing ovation when he got put into the game and then he immediately gave up a quarter <laughs> three to paul pierce um rough year rough year 2014-15 i'm going with og who uh, i think is very deserving and just a really really awesome game a couple weeks back and it's uh I'm clinging to that baby because it's the, <laughs> it's one of the most recent happy basketball memories we have to hold on to. Um, let's go on to the three fourteen matchup in this one. Andrea Bargnani auditioning for the Knicks with a forty one point game, along with six boards and seven assists at MSG on December the eighth, twenty ten. The first season without Chris Bosh, um, and you know for a second maybe there was a little bit of hope that Bars could carry it. Uh, obviously, we know how that ended. On the other side, Kyle Lowry not traded to the Knicks at any point, beating the Dallas Mavericks in a ridiculous comeback from down 30. Earlier this season, they were down 30 with 14 and a half minutes left to play. Kyle scores 20 of his 32 points in the fourth quarter. He leads that insane full-court press the Raptors used to scare the Mavs, and he pulls out the uh, 32-8-10 and 10 line. Just uh, masterful stuff from Kyle Lowry. There's so many Kyle Lowry over everything games you could choose to put in a bracket like this, but that one for like a maybe recency bias, but also just like the unlikelihood of it all and the degree to which he just decided he was winning that game at a time where it, it would have been totally understandable if he packed it in. Uh, it gets the nod for me among a bunch of contenders. Who you taking in the 314? I mean, this to me, it, I, maybe it's sort of like your your Lou Williams thing. Like, I can't pick Bargnani over Lowry in any context. <laughs> I don't think. Like, Bargnani, probably my least favorite Raptor of all time. 
Not that I think he's the worst Raptor of all time. Like the reason why I, he drove me nuts and why he's my least favorite is that he would have moments like this. Like I hate these games, <laughs> the games where he's great, where it just looks like the game comes so easily to him. It looks like he has a matchup advantage almost every time. looks like his shot is just like so just kind of simple and there's no wasted motion. And you're just like, why isn't this guy an all-star? Like those ones drive me way more crazy than his just out and out bad games, because those are the ones that kept him in Toronto for so long. Those are the ones that kept the team from giving up on him. Um, those are the ones that made me watch so much Andrea Bargnani basketball in my life. Like, and it's weird because, like, I remember later on, like, when I first started covering games in person, it was the first Dwayne Casey year. It was, like, the the stretch where Bargnani actually had the longest stretch of good basketball of his entire career. And I remember the first reported story I wrote, I, like, sat down with Casey and I talked to him about the team, and I talked to him a little bit about Bargnani. I had a terrible interview with Bargnani in the locker room because he was awful with the media. And I wrote something that was, like, focused on Casey, but, like, had a little bit of, like, positive Bargnani stuff in there, too. And even that was just a massive tease. Like, he ended, he got injured, and then he ended that season, like, terribly, and then that was it. Like, it's just, that whole Bargnani era is so sad, and it's not because he couldn't have games like this. It's because he did, and then he would have a million other games that were nothing, not remotely like it whatsoever. So maybe you can make an argument that outside of all the context, the Bargnani game was better. He certainly scored more points. Uh, but, like, the Lowry game, they both mean something. It's just the Lowry game means something happy and fun, and the <laughs> Bargnani game, to me, represents just pure frustration. I'm going Lowry in, in a very easy cakewalk here. Um, uh, like, that game was so inspiring, and I was watching it with, like, family because it was a Christmas gathering, and just, like, seeing everyone else just enraptured by what Kyle was doing uh, was really damn cool. So I'm easily going yeah. with Kyle here. Uh, it sounds like you are as well. We move on to the yeah. 7-10 matchup, a very juicy one. I'm not sure how I'm leaning just yet. 7 is Mike James, 39 points against the Detroit Pistons, uh, the second-to-last game of his wonderfully bizarre season with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, and against the him is the uh, Serge Ibaka, who had 34-10 and 10 against the LA Lakers early in the 2018-19 season on a Kawhi Leonard load management night kind of uh, set the stage for what was a very, very nice season, a sort of a restorative season for Serge after a tough playoffs at the end of 2018. Um, where are you leaning here, Mike James or Serge Ibaka? 15 for 17 is just completely insane. I have to go with Ibaka. The James season was awesome. I, I wonder, though, how you feel about him because it was a very Lou Williams-esque season. He just ran pick and roll every single time and was insanely efficient. Mm -hmm. And, like, by any standard, if you just, like, looked at, like, his numbers that year you were like there was a case people were making a case like he should be an all-star this is one of the best seasons in raptors history and like statistically it still is mm -hmm. but i don't think anybody actually thought it was representative of like who he was as a player and like how he should actually be valued around the league and it didn't turn out that it was but i just i wonder if you if you look back at that positively or negatively given what you just said about lou I look back at it extremely positively because that team was under no illusions that it was good. And James saw himself <laughs> an opportunity when they were like just completely moribund in the middle of the season that he was like, okay, I'm going to go get some team to trick them. Like I'm going to trick a team into paying me basically. And that 
is like inspired stuff and he was also just so like brazen and confident about it too i mean lou williams certainly has oh, yeah. his own share of confidence too but the mike james is upset youtube video the scrum that he has where he <laughs> talks about putting the ball in the hole at a very high rate and nobody talking about how yeah he scores 30 points but yeah he also got 10 assists as well with a shit-eating grin um that is like it's perfect gunner stuff that we don't have enough of in the nba anymore and yeah lou williams is like part of that but that raptors team was trying to be good and trying to build upon what had happened the year before and i felt like lou williams kind of hindered that growth and development from a lot of the guys on the team just because he took over so uh, so so regularly and mike james was not doing anything he waited until the season was in the toilet to take over and i respect that and i i hold that season in high regard as a result Okay. I'm picking yeah, Mike James. I, I by thought the way. that season was fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Mike James season was fun back then, but I'm I'm going with a Baca. That that efficiency is just it's mind blowing. Yeah, that was a great game. Uh, also, a really good Kyle game in there too. I believe he had like 21 and 15 as they beat the, uh, the beating a LeBron team on the road. Those seem to stand out and uh, require amazing performances, yeah. as it turns out. Um, the last <laughs> matchup we've gotten to. Sorry, we've done a uh, hour and 10 minute podcast, but I don't care because guess what? What else are you doing? You're staying inside anyway, so who cares? Uh, the last matchup, the number two seed. Chris Bosh with his highest ever game score in a winning effort for the Raptors. 40 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists against the Orlando Magic team that would beat the Raptors in 5 games just a couple months after this game took place in February 2008. Up against number 15 seed, Keon Clark, who set the franchise record with 12 blocks in a game against the Atlanta Hawks back in 2001. Where are you leaning here, James? Gotta be Keon. Yep. It's Keon, man. I'm sorry. Sorry to Chris Bosh, but man. As <laughs> iconic. He had like that line and that dunk that he had on Sean Bradley in a nationally televised TNT game. Like there there's some like truly iconic stuff in Keon Clark's Raptors tenure. His story uh obviously is extremely sad uh and weird, but for a brief time he was one of my favorite players. Uh, when I was a kid and watching those Raptor teams. Yeah, it's uh, that game's nuts. The numbers behind it are crazy, too. Only two guys since then have gotten 12 blocks in a game. One is Hassan Whiteside. One is JaVale McGee, which rules. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and also, it's only ever happened 35 times in the history of the NBA, and only 15 guys have done it. So um, just absurd. When I was doing the, the look-through, one guy had a quadruple-double. Do you know who this was? With blocks. Wait. Like, one guy who, on. with 12 blocks, also recorded a triple-double. Or a quadruple-double in the game. Uh, Akeem? No. He only did it twice, by the way, which is a little surprising. Nate Thurmond is the guy who did it. Mm, okay. Very, yeah. very cool line. It's like 25, 13, 14, and 12, which is just That's awesome. fucking batshit, but so cool. Um, so you're taking Keon, huh? Going with Keon. No guilt to not have Chris Bosh moving on to the second round at any point here? I mean, there's some guilt. I, I think his peak will always be a little bit underrated just because I guess his peak as a as a basketball player in terms of like being a winning player was later because he like evolved into one of the better defenders in the NBA, which was not the case in Toronto. But mm -hmm. in terms of his offensive peak, when he was a go to guy, like he was just he was fantastic. It, would, it just wasn't inspiring. I don't, like it's not as fun to go back and watch Keon Clark highlights. I mean, sorry, to to watch Chris Bosh highlights as opposed to 
going back and watching even like Damon Stoudemire highlights. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's not the same. Um, Very Lamarcus, I, I, right? Like extremely Lamarcus and just like really really good. Like probably a Hall of Famer, almost certainly a Hall of Famer, but. Like the style, like oh yeah, th- just another eighteen foot jumper. That's insanely hard to do at such a high rate, but uh, that's not exactly tingling the spine. Well, they they could have been the Raptors front court if uh, they hadn't drafted Andrea Bargnani. Uh, you you are not wrong. And those guys knew each other too. Yeah. So I remember wanting that to happen at the time. I did too, uh, man. But, you know, I did too. Whatever. That or Brandon Roy, <laughs> which also would have been cool, even though Brandon Roy's knees became dust in like five years. But still, that would have been better. Five years of Brandon Roy versus however many of Bargnani. Yeah. <laughs> on yeah. On <laughs> Yep, that was that was popular right at that time I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, all right, man. I think we've reached the end of uh end of this here podcast. So in the John Saunders region, we both have Kyle Lowry moving on as the number one seed over PJ Tucker for his Cleveland Cavaliers performance. Uh, we got Siakam with his forty four against the Wizards last year, both beating Mo Pete. I took Kawhi in his duel with KD over Charlie V. You took Charlie V. Uh, I took, we both took Vince Carter easily over Jose Calderon, the 51-point national TV game from Vince. Uh, I, did you take OG or Lou Williams? I took OG. Okay, so we both took OG just a couple weeks ago over uh, Lou Williams. Uh, 14. By the way, OG is like the impetus for this bracket. Seeing that game, I was thinking back to some of the better games in history. Uh, so thanks to OG mm-hmm. for that. Um, we both take Kyle Lowry's comeback win basically by himself against uh, Andre Bargnani in the 14 over three. I took Mike James. You took Serge Ibaka in the 7-10. And uh, we both take Keon Clark as the 15 seed, upsetting the number two. Both 15 seeds winning our matchups, which is kind of crazy. But I don't make the rules. Keon Clark definitely wins this. Uh, Some fun (laughs) matchups lined up for the second round, which we will uh, get to when we get there. Saturday, we're going to see the second round, so we'll talk about that. On Saturday or on Monday, I guess we'll uh, we'll circle back around and get someone else to talk about those matchups. James, thank you so much for indulging me in this insanely long podcast. Uh, do you have anything you would like to plug? Any parting shots? Can I tell you how my bracket ended up turning out, or is that jumping the gun here? No, go nuts. What do you got? So my two finals were both Vince Carter versus the number uh, fifteen seed. Wow. So <laughs> I had Vince Carter versus Stoudemire, and then I had Vince Carter versus Keon Clark. Hell yeah. And, uh, I ended up picking the Vince Carter against Phoenix game. As the uh, overall winner? As the overall winner. Oh, yes. okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I can tell you already that I'm going to take Terrence Ross all the way to the final. Um, it's just, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. That's very on brand. I mean, it, you can't deviate from the brand when you do something like this, but uh, the Vince one is – I look forward to maybe – Terrence squelching that Vince won in the finals, at least. I haven't decided who's going to make the... Kyle might make the final on my bracket. I don't know, man. It's all very good. The Raptors, not as many uh, sad years now to sort of like take up the entire history of the team. There's lots of good times now to uh, comprise a bracket like I know, this, it's, which kicks ass. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Competence. Long-term <laughs> sustained Very competence. different than most of my what life. What the hell? Yes. <laughs> it's weird now, like, when people are talking about, like, oh, what will I, like miss most if the season doesn't come back like what are we not gonna get to see and like like i don't have the same like it's not like i'm going to raptors games all the time like i had a quick visit this year but like i don't live in toronto anymore it's not like i watch every raptor game but like genuinely i'm 
if this is it, I'm going to miss watching this year's version of the Raptors so much. Yeah. Like, to me, they were the most fun team in the league this year. And I say were because I'm not particularly optimistic about the season coming back. It still could. But um, regardless of how the playoffs like were going to shake out, like just watching them try to defend the title. Uh, I mean, it, it, again, still possible, but I'm not counting on it. And like, I was just, I was looking forward to, to seeing what it looked like in the playoffs, like everybody else. So, yeah, man, um, I wrote on Sunday for Raptors.com about this very thing and how wonderful this team was. And I, I too am not terribly confident things are going to come back, but if they do, you can be sure that the Raptors are going to try extremely hard in whatever games they play, which is, uh, noble and admirable and all those fun words. Uh, James. Thanks so much, man. Anything that you're working on right now? I'm working on stuff, but like, I don't know when the hell any of it's going to run, to be honest with you. Like, it's, weird. <laughs> it's weird writing basketball stories right now. Like, I wrote something yesterday that was just sort of like an overview of everything that's happening with the hiatus mm. and the questions the league is facing and sort of the unanswered questions. And even doing that, it's like I had to couch it in like a million things. Like, because I just, it, I'm just like, none of this really matters. Mm-hmm. Like, we're sitting here talking about like, oh, like it sucks that we don't get to watch like this version of the Raptors play right now. But like people are dying. And like I I live in a city that's like being hit extremely hard. And part of the reason the numbers are so bad is just because they're actually testing a decent amount of people now, finally. But like, I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking about basketball when there's not nearly enough like ventilators in the hospitals and we yeah. already know that all the healthcare workers are going to be overworked so much. And it's just, it's just kind of like, like when I, I, and again, it's like, I get it. Like it does suck. We all miss watching it and it sucks for the Raptors. If they're not able to try to defend their title, it sucks for like the bucks. If they're not able to take advantage of the home court advantage that they earned, uh, even if it does come back uh, and they're playing without fans or whatever, like that's all true. It just, I'm just kind of like, I don't really care about that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's so weird. I, I still don't really know how to take yeah. it all in. And I can't believe it's only been eight days. Holy shit. Um, but either way, <laughs> you know, we'll still be here with you. James will still be here with you at Outside the NBA. I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon, buddy. Um, you can find me at... Anytime you need. Yeah, man. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. You can subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast wherever it is you get your podcast, as is the case for all the Locked On network shows uh coming up on friday fun episode coming down myself katie heindel and then joey divine and sean keen from the round ball rock podcast are going to comprise uh another edition of round ball rock dawn raptors which uh, should be fun you'll hear that on friday uh and so keep an eye out for that and uh we'll probably talk about this big three news that just came down which uh apparently there's going to be a quarantined tournament in april to aid fans' basketball appetite, uh, which should be very exciting. Shouts to Ice Cube for uh, thinking outside the box, I guess, or inside the box, as it were, with the quarantine and all. Anyway, yeah, that was a quarantine <laughs> joke. Uh, all right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Go uh, listen to any of the Lockdown shows in the Lockdown Podcast Network right now on your smart device, like Lockdown MLB, for example. we got the season previews going on over there, so go do that. And we will talk to you again next time with another episode of Lockdown Raptors. Raptors.